All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We did the first part of Hebrews 3 last week, um, just verses 1 through 6. Um, and then we'll continue, finish up chapter 3 today. Uh, it feels like for two Sundays per, you know, per chapter, it's going to go by quick. It doesn't keep going like that. I'm like looking at the schedule, I'm like, we're in Hebrews for a long time. And it's good. These past two weeks have been awesome to be able to preach through chapter 3, uh, to really be able to sit in this with you and apply it to our lives. Not, not only to my life, but thinking about you and how we as a church can be this people. Alright, so Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, we're going to read through 19, and then we will work through breaking it down. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. For your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So today, after last week, going through this part one, this first part, of Hebrews chapter 3, we were reminded of a few things. We were reminded of who we were because of the gospel. We were reminded of who Jesus is and, and, and traits. Uh, that he is better. He is greater than Moses. He's greater than all these things. And, and we, we walk through why. walk through how that is. Obviously, we know that to be true. And then today, as the, the writer sets us up with that, this part 2 is just all about this spiritual warning against unbelief, and, and, and what leads that unbelief, and then what happens because of that unbelief. It's a warning, absolutely a warning. So 7 through 11 comes from Psalm 95, but it's referencing Exodus. It's referencing Exodus to Numbers, uh, this great Exodus of God's people from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt. This is what it's referencing. And so we, let's walk through what 7 through 11 it's a few verses, but obviously it covers a lot. And so walk through what the Israelites went through. Their exodus began so well. Like the, the best immigration of the people group in the history of the world. Like they were on a high. No other people began with such great expectations, so much hope, so much just like purpose for leaving. And they start off so low. Slaves, and they have... This purpose, they have expectation. The Egyptians, glad to see them go, 
gave them whatever they asked for. So they plundered Egypt. Not only were they just excited to leave, they left rich. They were loaded. They're good. Uh, later, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire to lead them, protect them from Pharaoh's army until they could cross the parted sea. Okay? Even more. It's like God just piling these things up. How awesome this is. He parts the sea, and then they turn around and they see it engulf the pursuing armies. After 430 years of slavery, God leads them through this incredible exodus. It is, it is awesome. It's beautiful. It is unbelievable. It is, it is great. But it really starts to go down from there. Of the 600,000 men over the age of 20, not counting women or children, only two of them, two over the age of 20, entered into the promised land 40 years later. Only two. They were ready to follow God anywhere. When they get to the promised land, two over the age of 20, two men over the age of 20, out of the 600,000, get to enter the promised land. Soon after they escape the pillar of cloud and fire, bread from heaven, the Israelites become thirsty in Exodus chapter 17. It says in 17, they quarreled with Moses, grumbled against him, saying, give us water to drink. Why don't you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses then called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested, he were tested Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? <laughs> like a few moments, for us it's a few chapters later, but for them, just days later, moments later, after this incredible exodus, God is so faithful, God is so powerful, parts the Red Sea, provides whatever we need, now we're thirsty. Like, come on, bro, I'm going to die of thirst. <laughs> is God even with us? Is he for us? Is he among us or not? Just because they're thirsty, in such a short time, they go from this initial excitement, this, this charge, this fire they have, and completely lose it when they meet their first trial. It's gone. They are full of doubt, full of unbelief in who God is and, and what he says. Um, this unbelief reaches its peak in the book of Numbers as we continue to walk through what the Israelites are going through. Um, I think it's number, yeah, number 14. Uh, on the borders of the promised land, the 12 spies return to give the report. 10 out of 12 of the spies say the land is untakeable. There's no way. These occupants of this land are of great size. We seem like grasshoppers compared to them. And then they really go off the rails in 14. Uh, then all the congregation raised a loud cry after hearing this, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So much so, they want to go back into slavery, go back into Egypt. And then Caleb steps in. He says, no, that land is ours. It's, it's awesome. Don't fear them. The Lord is with us. Trust in the Lord. Amen. And the people are like, 
Yeah, stone that dude. Like, get him out of here. Get a new leader. He's talking nonsense. It's crazy. And then the Lord appears and said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs, all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. This is the warning from the Spirit working through all these writers. It was needed for those hearing the psalmist's words. It was needed a thousand years later for the writer of Hebrews, who he's writing to, this warning. And now, 2,000 years after that, we desperately need to hear this today. As I was working with this, I texted Joseph and Jared. I was like, this is for the crossing. Every Sunday, whatever we're going through is for the crossing. But this right here, this is for the crossing church today. Verse 15. Today, if you hear this voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. We're going to skip over 12 through 14. Come back to it later. Do not harden your hearts in rebellion. For who were those who heard yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? So bring us back. They had a great leader. They left Egypt. They escaped slavery. But they were the ones who heard and yet rebelled. And who, with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Such a high hope. Now their bodies lying in the wilderness. They provoked God. And to whom did he swear that he would never, he would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? These disobedient members. Disobedient people will never enter God's rest. So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And this is where we want to just really focus on right now. They don't get to enter rest because of unbelief. And so what does that mean? The writer says, all this, in the end, say it doesn't matter how you start, it's about finishing well, persevering in this race, finishing this race well. It's not how you start. The, the Israelites had the greatest start. The, like, awesome start, but 600,000, up to a million, counting women and children, do not get to enter the promised land. Moses, not enter the promised land, because of unbelief. So, just like a race, um, I coached cross country, surprisingly. I know, thank you. Uh, for the first time this year, I had a lot of help from other people. Um, but, I had a lot of football players, and I'm going to run, coach, and like, okay, good luck. And starting so well. They were like the fastest football team, just jack dudes for eighth graders, um, and just taking off and like blowing past everybody until not even halfway through. A bunch of skinny dudes are just coming up behind them, like not breathing at all. I'm like trying to catch up with a breathing heart, just nothing. And they finished so well. Like their times were incredible because they didn't, here's what the start. What are you talking about? I gotta finish well. Just like a marriage. If if my start with my wife is my wedding day, and, and I'm clinging everything to that day. We went to Kate and Sam's wedding yesterday. Beautiful sermon. The gospel was preached. The food was good. I got to hug Kate. got to hug Sam. It was great. It was a lovely time. I told Ryan, no crazy uncles did anything weird. It was good. That's what you want in a wedding. But if Kate and Sam, through the rest of their marriage, are clinging to the hope they have in that day, how good that day was, and American people know, like, that ain't enough. It's got to be more. Your, your love has to grow. You have to learn how to, like, argue well, learn how to have kids. 
from all these things, you're growing in that. It's not just that day. It's not just a start. That start can be awesome. Our wedding day was awesome. I loved it. Across the street, that building over there, it was beautiful. Loved it. But there's no way I'm going to persevere in my marriage if that's what I'm clinging to. Same thing, parenthood. I have two kids. Both were incredible. For me, painless. Awesome. Great. Um, but it was awesome seeing my children come, sorry, seeing my children come into the world. Like becoming a father for the first time is incredible. It like, didn't hit me until like a month later and I was just weeping every night. It was awesome. But if I'm clinging to that feeling, that, that whatever that was, as I parent my kids, as I raise my kids, as I discipline my kids, it's not enough. It's got to be something else. And so just like here in our spiritual walk, in these seasons after seasons of life, if we're focused on, if, if everything we are is that exodus, just like the Israelites, exodus out of Egypt, our exodus out of living in the flesh, out of being slaves to sin, that a moment for you, however incredible it was, or however basic it was, broken church, I want to be with Jesus, yeah, okay, However incredible that was, if your entire life is just clinging to that, it's not going to be enough. We see here it's not enough. It is possible to have an incredible exodus out of captivity and fall by the way when trouble comes, to die in the wilderness. It is possible to have an awesome testimony about how God opened up your eyes, ripped you away from a life filled with emptiness, filled with sin, be on fire for Jesus, loving others, proclaiming truth, and fall away. Lose sight of Jesus. That incredible exodus simply becomes a memory. That's it. And so to be clear, before we move on, I'm not saying it is possible to lose salvation. I'm not saying, we're not saying that. Scripture doesn't say that. And we'll sift through that when we get to 12, 13, and 14. When we meet those trials, big or small, what starts to rise up in us is doubt. Doubt in who God is and what if the word says is true or not. Doubt in who we are because of what he's done. That doubt, that hardened heart, as it hardens, if left to work it out by itself, will become unbelief. We may not consciously know it at the time. Uh, in our hearts, we know. If we were to sit and just check ourselves, we don't believe. If, if it gets to that point, there, there's no belief in us. Like the Israelites in the wilderness, that unbelief begins to form contempt. We become quarrelsome, especially with other believers. We grumble, we complain when something isn't going our way. When the elders talk about how good DNA is and how good wisdom is, we're like, I ain't got time for that. I had a full day at work. Like, that dude don't even read the Bible. I don't know, that kind of stuff. Nobody's saying that to me. If you have, keep it yourself. All right. <laughs> this grumbling, this quarrelsome, it's like we're just not angry. But we're just so tight and rigid because of unbelief that's formed into contempt like the Israelites. And then that doubt, moving into unbelief, then contempt, it rears its head. Heart becomes hardened and shows itself in disobedience. Where, like where I would rather return to slavery in Egypt than persevere and trust the Lord into the promise of this disobedience, that this must be better. This has to be better. Because of this unbelief, because of all this contempt I have, now I'm just full in disobedience to the Lord. If we don't listen to this warning, if we don't wake up and take care of our hearts, our brothers and sisters' hearts, 
We will grow weary. Our hearts will become hardened, unbelieving hearts, evil hearts, and we will not enter into the Father's rest. We will not. And so, moving into the middle part, how can it be? I type this next part 15 times. I'm going to say it right. Yeah. It was so hard. How can it be that we never lose this true salvation that only comes from God through Jesus' death and resurrection, but also, how can it be possible that after we turn from our sin to Jesus for the first time, we can still fall away? So those are two different things. We're not saying we lose our salvation, but we see that some people fall away. Stories all across the world, especially just big-name pastors who fall away. Like, how is that possible? So, some scripture on why we know we cannot lose the salvation. We are secured forever. Romans 8, 35, best chapter in the Bible. In my opinion, sorry. Uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, here it is, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. We are sealed. It is guaranteed. We cannot lose this. If we have been changed, saved by Jesus, that's forever. We believe that. That is true. But also, there is evidence in Scripture for falling away. Matthew 13, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures it for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, to the insincerity of liars who, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, who require absence from food, that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Some will fall away because of tribulation and persecution. Some will depart from the faith and begin teaching lies, teaching heresy. Both are true. Both are true. The Bible is not contradicting itself here. So we can see what this means in Hebrews chapter 3. Starting in verse 12, this middle part. Right, says, take care, brothers. He gives us warning. This is what happened to the Israelites. This is what they went through. Now, take care, brothers, lest there be any, uh, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, 
that none of you may be hardened of the deceitfulness of sin. And 14 is going to be really important for us this next part. For we have come to share in Jesus Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we need to break this down. First, the writer says, take care of brothers. Last week we talked about how the writer was calling us holy brothers, calling those who were receiving us holy brothers, and how big that was for them. So still here, by calling them brothers, it's still big. There's no holy there. Brothers, the writer knows, or at least assumes, that these are believers he's writing to, or professing believers. These are brothers in Christ. Next, we see the evil, unbelieving heart can lead some to fall away from God. Verse 14, the word for gives us the argument. So this, verse 14, this is why you must take care. This is why you must exhort one another. For we have come. So important part there, have come, being past tense. And you have to believe me in that because I'm going to use it. You're sorry. Uh, we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So past tense. This has happened. We have come to share in Christ. That has been accomplished. We have been saved. It's in the past. If we hold our uh, confidence firm to the end, this can't be conditional. Because what we just walk through, this, this phrase right here, this sentence right here, I believe is what a lot cling to when they say, yeah, you, you can't lose your salvation. If we hold our confidence in the word if is really important right there. Because if that means if you do this, you're in. If you don't do this, you're out. Then that would be big. That we would have to go over that. This can't be conditional because we already know. So we got to figure something else out. We know we're saved by grace. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Instead, we must view this as evidence, as fruit. And so let's go through that. So if we hold our original confidence firm to the end, we've come to share in Christ. This is the evidence, the fruit. So meaning, if we continue to hold fast to Jesus, continue to see Him in everything, continue to just be latched on considering Him, if we continue to do that, this shows that we were, past tense, we were indeed saved. We were indeed a part of the family. It's, it's even more clear if you, if you kind of go the other way with it. If we do not hold our confidence to the very end, then we have not come to share in Christ. This is all it is. Simply evidence. So at the end, if, if someone were to view your life and they see a person fell away, then that's evidence that they were not in the family. That was the evidence they were not a believer. And so we see this does not mean if a professing believer falls away from God, falls into a life of unbelief, it does not mean they are no longer part of the family. That's not what we mean here. What it does mean, if a professing believer falls away from God, falls into a life of unbelief, they were never a part of the family of God to begin with. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, and when I read this next passage that we're about to read, this is heavy. This is really hard. Because in, in that, I'm not thinking of those people who I know who, who were had a terrible life before they came to Jesus and, and just like one guy specifically, such a hard time back and forth between drugs and sex and Jesus and, and, and demonic things. Like him, like, yeah, like that, that's hard. I get that. But someone who maybe led me, who, who discipled me, 
that was someone I'd look up to, to think about them falling away. Somebody had lost their salvation. That wasn't real the whole time. They, were, they weren't a part of this. According to Scripture, they were not a part of this family. That is part. And so Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They do not enter rest. Jesus never knew them. God never knew them. So we must be guard on this for us and for each other. Knowing this, we should not wallow in doubt and sorrow all the time thinking, what if I'm not truly saved? That's not what we're looking for here. Absolutely not. We need to have confidence this great work will persevere, yeah. that we are saved to the end, that we will get to be with Jesus because of what he's done in us, not according to anything that we've done. We must have faith in that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Our energy should go into not worrying about whether or not someone else or we are truly part of the family or not. Our energy should flow into what is found in verse 13. This is what we do. This is who we are what we do. This is what our energy should flow into. So verse 12 says, Take your brothers, and so be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away and let me God. But, this is what we do, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. Synonyms for exhort. I know it helps me a lot, these big words. Uh, exhort, encourage, urge, charge. So we're encouraging each other, helping, pushing each other forwards as a fan of a sporting event. Uh, and, and for me, again, I'll bring cross country again, this really didn't, uh, I, I couldn't visualize this until this year. Because at any sport that I actually like, there's stuff happening all the time. And the fans are constantly cheering. NBA playoffs right now, it's been awesome. There's just constant cheers. Fans are the abilities again. Cross country though, when I was meeting with Joseph, like, hey, help me out with this. And then the question was, why do we even come to this stuff? Like, why do you come to a race? Because it's like, cross country especially, it's like, they take off, and you don't see them for a few minutes. And then, oh, maybe they come again. And I was like, I don't get it. I need something like pumping. I need some like crowds just jeering and cheering, all that kind of stuff. I don't get it. And then my first ever cross country event, um, these kids are coming around. They're about to end this like last little half track. And their parents, their friends, their family are just like cheering them on, like pushing them on, like you're about to like pass out and die. I can see you doing that. Like finish, like get to the end and finish it. And I'm seeing that, I'm like, okay, I get it. I see them. all that. Man, that's worth it right there. And, and, and for them to just go absolutely nuts when their kid finally crossed that line, I was like, okay, I get it now. I'm not gonna be running, but I get it. <laughs> so this, this is why we're pushing, this is why we're encouraging each other. We need this from each other. Because, man, I grew weary a lot. <laughs> I need this all the time. This, this pushing, this urging on to Jesus. And then it also answers, when? When do we exhort? Only when we've been encouraged first? No, I saw a Facebook post about that the other day. And no. <laughs> so you fill me up, and then I can fill you up. That doesn't say that. 
um, only on the weekends when I've had time to breathe, and then I can think about others. No, it does not say that. Every day, as long as it is called today. So that sounds like every day for the rest of our lives to me. This is when we encourage. This is, this is what we are. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. Next, we want to answer how hearts are hardened. Uh, this, is, this is really big for me to see and, and, and how we exhort each other. And we'll end soon with this. It says, exhort each other every day so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Keyword, deceitfulness of sin. This is how our hearts are hardened. This is how the doubt starts. This is how this shapes and forms into unbelief. Deceitfulness. We know Satan is the father of lies. The enemy uses sin to lie to God's people. Hearing, seeing, eventually believing these lies are how believers, or at least professing believers, fall away. They believe the lies of sin, lies of the enemy. These lies come in many forms. This deceitfulness. God cannot satisfy you, so you must look somewhere else for that satisfaction. Grace was not enough. What God did on the cross was not enough for you, so you need to try harder. You need to be better. Whatever lie that is for you that's constantly just filling you every day that you constantly have to turn away from and look to Jesus, just fill, fill in the gap, fill in the space, that lie is there, and, it, and it's happening often. If our hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that's what's hardening, and that's what's causing us to turn to unbelief, how then should we exhort one another? What should we be saying to one another to combat the lies of sin? What else than truth? We exhort, we encourage, we urge with truth, with absolute gospel truth. This is how we combat deceitfulness. This is how we combat lies of the enemy. This is how we encourage one another with truth. And this is key because if I'm encouraging and, and what it looks like is just me and myself being nice. If I, if I mean friendly, and, and I'm thinking that's going to laugh, that's going to do it, that's not it. That cannot go against lies of the enemy. Like he is powerful. So the only thing that I can come at that with is truth from the Word. And so, God cannot satisfy you. You're believing that lie. Let me show you why God can't satisfy you. Let me show you why Jesus is everything you need right here. You believe that grace is enough. You, need, you believe that you have to live up to expectations from parents, from bosses, from just social media. Let me show you why Jesus was enough. Let me show you why this gospel was enough to save you forever. We just go against, we exhort, we encourage with truth. And so, like last week, uh, I'm, I'm prayerful, I'm hopeful that this is who the Crossing Church can be. That, that there's been so many times we've had seasons of just, this is incredible. Like DNA, uh, our community group gathering, like it's incredible. Like we're, we're doing this because we're encouraging one another. Like we can be as annoying as possible. Like, hey, tell me what you don't believe about the gospel right now. Okay, let's walk through this thing. Make sure you're right here in John chapter blank. Like, 
we, we're, we're so good at that sometimes. And there's sometimes where just like that, that I haven't been filled. Like, I don't have anything to give. Or this week has been long. Like, <laughs> eighth graders, they're crazy. I think I say it every week. Like, I don't have anything to give. So how could I encourage? How could I exhort? How could I urge someone on when I have nothing? And that is why we do it with truth. It's right here. We, we must encourage with this truth. Because if we look at Exodus, if we look at Numbers, it is a dangerous path ahead. If we continue to let these hearts harden, if we continue to let sin just kind of pass away, we continue to see people suffering and, 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 and just wallowing in sin, it's not going to end well. We do not get to the rest. Because when we get to the end, there's no just evidence that you are in the family of God, doesn't mean you lost it. It means you were never a part. And so I'm, I'm prayerful that this is not true for any of us. You guys are great people. <laughs> Some of you I just met today, you're great. But it's not because of that. I just, the, as the body of believers, are we doing this for each other? Do we care? When I read that, when we read that, can we just picture one another and see how terrible it would be? Something that I could have just easily remedied with truth. I could easily be in someone's life nearly every day with truth so that they don't fall away. So I'm, I'm, I'm prayerful that we just be filled with this desperation for each other, this love for each other, that this is who we are for the body of Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that, that you have saved you have um, brought us out in slavery to sin, this emptiness of sin, God. And that no matter how often we turn back, we look to that life and remember, we see how easy it was, or, 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 or believe in the lie that how satisfying, how filling that life was, God. No matter how many times we want to return to Egypt, God. You are there with open, loving arms for us to turn back, to repent, and turn back to a loving Father. I thank you. That is true for those who you call children, heirs with Christ. God, I pray that we be a people who are constantly this for each other, constantly encouraging with, with truth, constantly urging forward, persevering with truth. That we aren't just wrapped up in how terrible we are, we're not wrapped up in if, 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 if we're saved, if our friends are saved or not, God, but we are wrapped up in who you are and who you've called us to be to your people, God. I pray that is who we are as Crossing Church. Please make that happen in this body of believers. I thank you for this body, how encouraging they are to me, to my family, just to Monroe, to their communities, to their jobs. Thank you. You have made us a people who have hope, and, and, and that hope leads to something much bigger than family, than emotion, than money. I thank you for Jesus. Be with us now as we celebrate, as we take communion here in a minute, and as we are sent out to exhort, to encourage one another with truth. Amen.